0: a sweet, sweet time of um, worship already this morning. Um, I I know a lot of times uh, you guys don't get to see this, but there's a lot that goes into um, the the planning and preparation for our time together on Sunday morning. And I think some of the the beauty that we saw in that um, came through one of the songs that we sang this morning in which we talk of and sing of and proclaim to God and one another, right, of the Trinitarian nature of God, and so um, what a sweet time, man, to just be encouraged and to grow. Um, Our uh, doctrine is informed and our theology is informed by the things that we say. Uh, Martin Luther uh, wrote a a ton of hymns and was a big fan of song because he said it's a great opportunity to um, instill within our hearts yet again during that time, gather together, um, sound truths, Pertaining to God, and so um, what a good time this morning all, already. Um, we uh, we highlight a, f- a few things here in the beginning that I want I want to discuss. We ha- try to highlight once a month a book that we would encourage you guys to consider reading through. Um, here is one uh, that we're going to be highlighting this month. Um, it's by a guy named Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe, um, who are with the Send Network, who actually. Um, uh, we are Ascend Church, like we're Ascend Church plant. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's called Life on Mission. It's at um, the connection table out front. Swing by, give it a thumb through. It is an incredible book. I've been reading it for uh, the past maybe week, and I'm like halfway through, and it's awesome. And so, I wanted to share that with you guys as well. Life on Mission. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We enjoy as a fellowship mission, um, and we enjoy the community that flows from mission. In fact, we say that our, uh, our 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 mission being missional, right, informs the way that we engage in community with other people. And so, one way we do that on Sunday morning is by gathering together at ten thirty um, to just have coffee together and just to hang out and to catch up on kind of what's been going on in one another's life over the course of the last week or two weeks or you know three weeks. Um, But if you haven't taken advantage of that time, I would really, really encourage you um, to to do so. It is a sweet time of of fellowship. We are, uh, as a church, in a really exciting um, season. Uh, A few things that are going on. We are um, ironing out uh, the membership uh, process here at Christ the King. And um, we'll actually begin, maybe as you saw in the beginning, scheduling uh, covenant membership interviews in August. Um, So next week, we're going to have a short Q&A after our morning uh, service um, to to answer any questions that you might have. If some of this terminology is new, um, covenant membership, what does that mean? What is that all about? What does the interview process look like? Why do we do that? I would encourage you to set aside a little bit of time to hang out uh, next week, and I will um, try to answer any questions that you have and dialogue Uh, with you kind of about what that looks like as we move forward. Also, we've recently established a team of leads um, to serve in a few really integral areas of ministry here at Christ the King. These guys are incredible, um, and I'm super grateful for their commitment to and their leadership and their service to this body. Um, and so, if you don't know who those people are, um, you will, because they are going to come for you, okay? Like, they are recruiting people to, like, be involved in um, these, these important areas of ministry. And so, um, I would encourage you to, as you're attending here weekly, perhaps, or you're looking for a place to plug in and connect and be a part and serve, man, begin praying even now about how the Lord would uh, potentially have you to do that here or somewhere else, um, we, but we do, for uh, God's people, uh, encourage service to a local fellowship, to a local body. And so um, be praying about what that looks like for you. Lastly, it's is the last thing. I know we're, like, highlighting a few things here in the beginning. We don't do that often, but it's such an exciting time. We're a couple of weeks away from uh, classes starting back. Just a few short weeks, man. And, like, um, this community that we live in and this area in which we do ministry is going to be, like, exploding. Okay? And so we are, as a fellowship, super, super grateful for the opportunities that the Lord allows um, us to be a part of in reaching and engaging um, college students, and, and those who move to the area for school, whether that be their kids are in school or uh, or they're coming here for college. You know, eighteen, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, trying to figure out what is going on in the world. Right? Like we're super grateful for the opportunities the Lord provides for us to uh, to minister to college students and. We're planning on this next year having some really neat uh, ways that you, if you're not in college, can serve uh, these guys. Uh, and so, again, uh, be uh, be thinking about, praying about what that looks like for you to be living in a, a missional community, which is like what this fellowship is, a missional fellowship. So, um, all that being said, Mark chapter 6 is where we are Uh, is where we are going. So let me catch us up a little bit on where we have been and where we are, kind of look ahead to where we're going uh, in Mark this morning. This portion of Mark really serves as what might best be described as a, a summary of the work of Jesus in Galilee before he moves out into other surrounding regions. Okay, there's a lot of similarities between what we're going to see this morning and what we've seen up until this point. All right, apart from uh, the explicit mention of casting out demons, uh, this section resembles really, really closely uh, things that we have seen from Mark chapter 1, right? Mark chapter 1, where we see Jesus heal Peter's mother in law from a fever, along with many others in that city who are suffering from various diseases, okay? It really resembles uh, some things that we see in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus again heals the sick. Um, this time with unclean spirits, seeing him and just like falling down before his feet. Um, and so, what do we see? What do we know? What do we recognize as we kind of look back on the first, you know, five and a half, six and a half chapters, and we're moving, we're moving forward. Well, the fame of Jesus is spreading. Okay, the the news concerning the person and the power of Jesus is spreading. His authority and the news of his work among those most broken. The news of Jesus' work among those most broken within society continues to be a topic of major discussion, not only throughout Galilee, but now in other areas. And as a result, Jesus and his followers are uh, what we could describe as consistently, right? Consistently finding themselves bombarded with broken people and religious elitists, okay? And so this is what the crowd that is following uh, after Jesus at this particular point uh, in, this, in the story uh, looks like, right? Um, two weeks ago, we saw the generosity of the Father. We reviewed this last week, but it is so, so good, man. And I think that the generosity of, of God and the compassion of Christ is a, a major theme that we see on display, um, not just here in Mark, but like over the course of like the canon of scripture, right? Like it's the, it's the story, right? In light of our rebellion and brokenness and death, man, God's great generosity and the compassion of the Son, the generosity of the Father sending Jesus into the world to save, save sinners, setting and lavishing His love on His people the generosity of the Father. We see the compassion of Christ, the compassion of the Son, looking out upon this mass of humanity earlier on in Mark chapter 6, gathered before him and seeing not a hindrance and not an annoyance, but a people, sheep in need of protection, right, and forgiveness. Last week we saw Jesus make his disciples get into the boat. Right, and he sends them out into uh, into difficult circumstance, right? Uh, like these massive waves and the storm that leaves them uh, exhausted, and um, even as we look towards the, the end of what we saw last week, like confused, kind of about what's going on. They're not seeing clearly, but but the big picture that we looked at last week was was Christ's ordaining it, ordaining it in this day and ordaining it in our. And I think we begin to see a little more clearly this morning why God, Christ, ordaining difficulty at times and seasons for his people. And all of this sets the stage for us to see Jesus this morning pursuing and welcoming the hurting, blessing those who believe. Okay, This is the big idea that we're looking at this morning, that Jesus pursues and welcomes the hurting, blessing those who believe. Uh, believe, who are, who are called into belief in him. Uh, and so two, two things that I want us to, to look at, to observe from this passage this morning. Are you guys good so far? Are we all right? Awesome. Here we go. Um, first, the availability of Christ. The availability of Christ with three like major subs that we're going to talk a lot about, like these subheadings, these subsections that we see underneath this. We see that in verses 53 through fifty-five. And then the blessing of Christ in verse fifty-six. And so this is a rather short passage for us uh, this morning, but it's a rich passage. And so um, let us read it together and then begin uh, begin making some, some observations about what we see what we see here. Uh, this is the word of the Lord, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gethsemane and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. Okay, recognized him who? Well, recognized Jesus, right? He's with his people at this particular point. He had been walking on the water, and then he got into the boat. They finally made their way to land, and the people recognized him, verse 55, and they began running about the whole region, and begin to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And so as news spreads about what's going on, right, the news has obviously preceded them, right? They are in Gethsemane, and the people are hearing that Jesus is here, his followers are here. There's been some amazing things that have been happening amongst the most forgotten, the most destitute, the most broken and sick and so they begin bringing people. Like they're traveling all throughout the people, are just running through the streets. It's kind of the picture I get. Like, have you heard? Jesus and his followers are here, right? And so they begin going wherever they hear that he was. Verse 56. And whenever he came in villages, cities, or, commun- or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might. Even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so it again looks very similar to an account that we have already uh, uh, seen up until this point, uh, being the woman with the issue of blood, who also was set on touching the hem of the garment of Jesus in order to be made well. Well, so let us pray together. Father, thank you for our time together this morning in your Word. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you might open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears um, to, to, to see uh, to see hope within this passage um, this morning. We love you, and we are grateful for your for your work uh, for us uh, and your work in us. And it's in the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look first at, from verses 53 through 55, the availability of Christ. Look at verses 53 through 55 again with me. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gethsemane and moored to the shore. Okay, so what does that mean? They anchored the boat there to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Three sub points that I want us to look at underneath this larger heading that is the availability of Christ. First, let's be really clear on this, that it is indeed God who pursues and welcomes people. It is God who pursues and welcomes people. People, And we see this in a number of ways. First, we see a sovereign redirect of the Lord. We see a sovereign redirect from the Lord that helps to affirm our understanding of God's pursuit of his people through Christ. Uh, Geographically, we find ourselves in a different location here in verse 53 than where perhaps we thought we might be, or where the disciples thought that they might be. We find ourselves on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, in Gethsemane. It is not what was expected when we see the disciples push off from the shore there in the middle portion of Mark chapter 6, our passage from last week. They were in fact, in verse 45, sailing towards the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, to a town called Bethsaida. And so as a result of the storm that we see the disciples experiencing last week that was indeed ordained by Christ, we see that they are now geographically in a different location than they thought they were going to be when they set out on what ended up being a truly tumultuous journey. The disciples had in their mind that they were going to one place. But we see that they find themselves in an altogether different place. It wasn't somewhere, being a sinner at, that they had planned to go. It might not even have been some place that they would have considered to go. Nonetheless, this is where they find themselves. And so, one question that we might begin asking at this point is why? Well, we know it's purposeful, right? It's very similar here. Perhaps we're reminded of what we see uh, with, with the Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Because we read in that account that, that Jesus is, um, he, they're setting off again on this journey and they go through Samaria. And in Samaria, he meets this, this woman at the well. And if we read that passage really closely, it says that he that they had to that they had to go through this this particular region. And we know that it wasn't so much a geographical had to in order to get from point A to point B because it was fa- there was in fact another way, right? But but what we see here is very similar to what we see in in John chapter four, the woman at the wells account, in which there appears to be this higher purpose, right? That there's this bigger picture that's being unfolded and displayed here. For us, as Jesus and his followers find themselves in Gethsemane, not by accident, but in fact, purposefully. It's certainly a a learning opportunity for the disciples and for us. Okay, Because we've read the whole passage at this point. We kind of understand what happens. We know that there are going to be sick and broken people brought to Jesus and that they are going to be made well. And so when we ask and consider this sovereign redirect that we see taking place here, and we ask how does this relate to a learning opportunity for the disciples and for us, well, we see that sometimes plans change, and sometimes plans, even through difficulty, change for the better, don't they? And so what do we learn from this? What learning opportunity might might we take and and practice and and observe from this passage? Well, hey, perhaps we not hold our plans so tightly, right? Right? I like am I'm, I'm very similar to you, I would imagine, in that we like to have our plans set, right? We like to know what's going on. Some of us are more free-flowing free than others, perhaps, um, and so you're not as big on plans, uh, which is awesome. I love that. There always needs to be a degree of planning, though, of course, we know that. But we see here that while there is this plan in place, that now they are living out a different plan. Right, something that they had not expected, and it works out to a glorious end. Through this sovereign redirect, we learn some very important truths pertaining to God and the human response. And so this is a learning opportunity for the disciples here, Mark chapter 6. It's a learning opportunity for us as we gather here uh, for uh, the, the teaching of this passage this morning. First, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about God? Well, we've already said that it is indeed God who pursues and welcomes people. And so in light of that statement, let's elaborate. Let's begin discussing that a little bit further. God meets his people right where they are. God meets his people right where they are. This type of crowd is not new to Jesus. And in terms of their their demographic, in terms of the makeup, Right? It's not strange in the Gospels to see Jesus attracting a very particular type of person. And, and so what do these people look like? What do the people that oftentimes find themselves gathered around Jesus most often look like? Well, well oftentimes they are sick. Right? A lot of times they are Broken broken people. A lot of times they are depressed and and overwhelmed people, right? Hopeless and lost and confused and misguided. These are the type of people that seem to find themselves around Jesus at every turn, right? As we go to, to each new section, as we work our way systematically through Mark's gospel. Right? It's so constantly this type of person that finds themselves in community around Jesus. What stands out, however, is not so much this particular type of person, but it's Jesus' intentional pursuit of those who might be described as the least attractive. You see, what we have here is indeed a crazy scene that's unfolding in this last portion of Mark chapter 6. People are running around everywhere, right? This is this, this is the picture that's painted for us. And it's like, uh, you know, Paul Revere riding through town announcing that the British are indeed coming, right? It's just craziness. It's this picture of, of chaos. We see uh, people being carried, right? And carrying people. Like, they're running around, they're gathering the sick, they're carrying them. People are being toted around on like mattresses, right? Their beds, they're shouting out as the word begins to spread that Jesus and his disciples are here. And through it all, as we begin to picture the chaos of this moment, okay, the chaos of this scene as Jesus and his disciples have landed in gesine at, their boat is anchored to the shore. They step off into the sand to begin, begin ministering throughout this community. We are reminded that in the midst of the struggle and pain of the human condition, which is undoubtedly, if you're unfamiliar with the human condition, allow me to introduce you to it. It is a struggle, right? It is painful. It is difficult. It is hard. Our world is broken. Our bodies are broken. Our minds are broken. Our actions are oftentimes misguided, right? This is the human condition. Yesterday, we went to the... uh, to the children's, like, uh, what was it called, Cordy? The children's museum. It was a museum. It we was this children's museum in Chattanooga. And, like, we walked around, like, we're carrying Judah because he absolutely is refusing to walk at this point. Um, and so we're, we're trading, like, Tom's carrying him, like, playing the little games with him and things like that. Man, I woke up this morning, and I felt like I had been hit by a truck. Like, my arms are sore. My legs are sore, right? I found out this past week I got high blood pressure. Man, that's a tragedy, isn't it? The tragedy of the human condition, man, since affects Genesis chapter 3, on everything that we see and everything that we, we feel. Christ has stepped into it. Right? God has willingly and mercifully entered into this place. And so what stands out over and above the massive physical need of these people here in Mark chapter 6 is the fact that Jesus is there, okay? That's what stands out over and above it. When we picture the chaos of this scene and guys running through the streets with mattresses with people on them, right? What stands out even above that is the fact that Jesus is right? The creator, the sustainer of all things that we saw emphasized earlier on, the one in whose name is higher than the angels, right? Who who, who sits enthroned, robed in majesty on high, enters into this broken human condition. The king who who just of the night before before they find themselves in Gethsemane just the night before, had rejected the earthly crown, is now not only pursuing these people, but he's welcoming them. And it is totally, totally countercultural. And the amazement at this point the gratitude flows from an understanding of our connection to the characters in this story. Right, when we read through this passage, when we read through these first few verses and we consider the characters present, who do we most relate to? Well, I think that we probably initially would be like, yeah, man, like I can think of a handful of people that like I'm trying to like carry like their brokenness like before the throne of Christ, right? I can think of people like that in my life that I petitioned the Lord to do this, this remarkable and miraculous work in their hearts, right? To open their eyes, to rescue them from, from condemnation and hell, right? But do we see ourselves as the broken people? You see, we're we're amazed and, and we're grateful when we realize that we are spiritually broken, that we are the ones in need of, in and of ourselves, and capable of scraping our cold, lifeless bodies off the floor. To to even find ourselves in the vicinity of the one who is capable of making us alive and whole and well. That is who we are. Perhaps now the opportunity exists to shout out of the news of the arrival of the king, which is what it looks like to live mission. right? It's what we're talking about when we say on this side of the cross, as those who have been rescued from sin right, who have been redeemed and adopted by God through the blood of Jesus, right, that we begin living this particular type of life, but do we see ourselves initially as those who are carried before the author of life? As our story begins, not on the mountaintop, but indeed in the ditch, right, we need to see and understand today that the presence of presentability, right, presentability when it comes to approaching Jesus is, is not existent, right? That, that there is no prereq of presentability when it comes to our being being brought before Jesus. Because there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves presentable, right? There, there is no prereq. We don't splint our broken limbs and clean ourselves, because we're incapable of doing so. This is what the law of the Lord teaches us again and again and again, isn't it? Right, as we look to the righteous standards of God, hey, this is what's required to live in to live in community with me, right? To, to be in right relationship with me, to dwell with me, to be my child. This is what is Required. We understand that we are incapable of presenting ourselves in any type of, 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 of solid condition before this king. We aren't able to do it. We can't fix ourselves. You can't fix yourself, and I can't fix. Myself. Instead, what we need to see in light of this passage is that Jesus meets the outcast, that Jesus meets the delinquent, that Jesus meets the rebel right where he is. And this is something that is totally different. And so we see that Jesus is different. Jesus is different. We see that Jesus displays true love and care and concern. We see that Jesus has a pure heart for people. That he and and, and only he is capable of reconciling us. That, That he and only he is capable of making us well. And so we do see here that God meets his people right where they are. And so what then is the human response to this? Because we see both present within this passage. We see Jesus pursuing a broken people by incredible means that we looked at last week. The storm that drove them from one end of the sea to a a different end. Of the sea to begin meeting with these people. What is the human response? Well, it is this. We can say this, we can affirm this that the hope that Jesus offers to the conditionally aware produces movement. Let me say that one more time. The hope that Jesus offers to the conditionally aware produces movement. That is when we our eyes are open. And we hear the voice of the king, our shepherd, showing us, displaying for us our need, we then are brought into a position of action. To those who see their condition, to those who see their own need, or the need of those that they are close to, in this case, physical, we see within this passage a response. What's the response? They go and tell, like that's one, right? They begin The word begins spreading that Jesus is in the region, that Jesus is around, that there is hope for the broken. The masses that have been just laid up on floors from hut to hut to hut throughout this region for who knows how long are presented with this glimmer of hope. There's no confusion, right, as it relates to their condition. No one looks down at a broken leg and talks it into repair, right? Like, you know, strategizes and, and, and perceives it to be indeed well. No, when eyes are, are, are open to the brokenness, right? We see it, it's obvious, it's there, we feel it. And then there's action, right? There's there's movement that takes Place. This is what gospel understanding and gospel recognition produces. And so let's step out of the physical and let's step into the realm of the spiritual for just a moment. Spiritually speaking, when our hearts are softened to the reality of our rebellion, our emptiness, our death, a movement is produced. Right? We are to respond to that, there is an appropriate response. And so, what is the appropriate response? Well, let's tackle it from the unbeliever for just a moment, right? It's to say, Are you kidding me? Right? Are you kidding me? I see my rebellion, I see my separation, I see my inability, I see my stain, I see my condition, I see my despair, all by grace. And you're telling me that there is one who has offered forgiveness? and 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 a hope and joy and reconciliation, life eternal resurrection benefits for me, for me, right? I mean this produces a response. And so for the non-believer man, for the skeptic, see the need, right? Like see the need. consider the kindness of the Lord and Respond, right? Repent and believe. This is what it looks like. This is the adequate response. This is the commanded response. This is what is what is to to happen. And for for the believer in the group, right? For the saints gathered to get together today, this morning, right here, March chapter six. What is the appropriate response? Well, we're beginning to sound like a broken record at this point, right? But it's it's mission. Right? It's a mission. It's, it's, it's running through the streets, right And it's, it's, it's proclaiming the coming of the king, right that the king is here, that the king is come. right it's, 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 it's taking the broken, right and, and, and carrying them, bringing them before. Jesus. This is what it looks like as Christians to live mission. It changes, it transforms everything because it's the best news, right? I don't know what's going on and get a center at on your average like Wednesday, whether down at the community center it's like dingo night or what. But whatever's on the schedule for Wednesday, when Jesus shows up and gets center at, man, it changes, doesn't it? And whatever was on the calendar now takes back C. This is precedent. And so this is what we mean, this is what we mean when we say, when we understand the gospel, when we understand who Jesus is, when we understand what God has done for us, that it changes everything. It informs the way that we see people around us. It informs the way that we see our our stewarding of our time, right? And our energy, our efforts, our resources. Are you kidding me? The king has come. Hope proclaimed to the brokenhearted. It changes everything. Right? It changes everything. This is the human response. This is the appropriate human response to the proclamation of good news that Jesus brings. That the kingdom has come and that we, through, through his life and through his death, are made citizens of this kingdom. Right? It's incredible. So the first thing that we see as we look at this passage is the availability of Christ, his pursuit, his welcome. He has obviously made himself available, even by supernatural means, like rising up a storm that would redirect their course. Right. The second thing that we see is this, the blessing of Christ. Look with me at verse 56. It says this, and whenever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, and so remember, these guys are traveling around by foot, right? And so we don't know, uh, I don't know, right, off the top of my head exactly how much time was spent in Gethsemane, but they're working their way through villages, cities, countrysides, right? They're traveling around, and the sick are being laid in marketplaces, Gathering places, places of of community where large groups are, are gathering. And they begin imploring Jesus that he might even touch the fringe of his garment, that they might even touch the fringe of his garment and be made well. And look at what it says there in this last portion. How many were made well? Like, what's going on? What, what, is the, what is the healing power of Christ capable of, right? What does he do? What, what, what results are experienced and felt? As many as touched it were made well. When we were going through the portion of, of of Mark in which we see the woman with the issue of blood, one thing that stood out to us was this sense of despair, her, her desperateness, right? That she would, with the condition that she had, place herself around such a large group of people. A woman who had undoubtedly, because of her uncleanliness, been ostracized, been marginalized, been pushed to the side, finds herself amongst a pack of people seeking to reach out and touch the hem of the garment of Jesus, believing that if she does, she will be made well. It's the same thing that we see here. And so this is what we say when we're talking about this, this, uh, you know, this summarization, right? This synopsis, a summary of what we see going on here. This is it. As many as touched it were made well. We see Jesus healing the sick, right? We see the work of Christ. As many as touched it were made well. Everyone who touched the fringe of his garment was made well, And so what was it that made them, well, ultimately, grace? It was Christ, right? He did it. He willed it. He worked it from beginning to end. His being there, right, is because he has put himself in this position. But we see here the role of faith, don't we? We see the role of, of faith and in, in that it's those who reached out and touched the hem of the garment of Jesus that are made well. We, we say this on, on a fairly regular basis because I know we need to be reminded of it, right? That we are, we are forgiven by what means? Well, by, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, In Christ alone, right? Like, we love the alones here, man. Like, we're real big fans of the the alones, right? Because it it points us to the exclusivity of, of Christ. And so we see that in this reaching out in faith, it's not about the garment, okay? It's not about the garment. This isn't some type of magical Harry Potter cloak, okay? It's not that. It's all about the one who's wearing the garment. It's his making well that which is incapable of being made well by any other means than him. His work and reaching out in faith. We see here through this story... An emphasis on the salvation of sinners. When we step out of the physical and we consider it yet again from a spiritual realm. And consider the salvation of sinners in light of what we see here. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, that there will be no doubt about his having chosen you when you have have chosen him that there will be no doubt about why we are indeed reconciled to God when we consider the one who makes us well in light of our moving in faith. We're brought to a greater awareness of our condition, right? That we're left in and of ourselves, that we would continue to exalt ourselves, to make much of us and to idolize everything in the world around us, seeking contentment and joy and satisfaction. But when we have been brought to a position to a posture of faith, right and we see with with clear eyes the work of the Lord, there will be no doubt about why we are indeed now occupying positions as sons and daughters of the king as opposed to rebels. Does that make sense there will be There will be no doubt about his having chosen you when you have chosen him. And then I think one of the last things that we might see from this portion is the hope of Romans 8.28 practically playing itself out. What does Romans 8.28 say? Well, Romans 8.28 says that, that God indeed works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his Purpose, that he works all things for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We see this flushing itself out here in this passage, Mark chapter 6. We see the good of the crowds being realized. The storm that last week we're looking at and we're going, okay, Jesus, like I get it. Like you are sovereign, like you are powerful, you are all authoritative over every square inch of creation, over the elements, we've seen you multiply them, we've seen you cease them right? But how is this working itself out? How is this going to play itself out? How is this a good thing? Well, we're seeing that today in light of the difficulty of last week's passage in Mark chapter 6. This week, we see the masses experience this supernatural healing and light of the grace and power and authority of Jesus, Right? And so here's the other side, man. There's the other side of providence. Here's the other side of Romans 8.28. We're actually seeing it in Mark chapter 6 play itself out. But it's not only for the good of the crowds, but for the good of the disciples. How is Romans 8.28 present and realized and displayed in what we see here in Mark chapter 6 in light of what we saw last week as the storm is raging in Mark chapter 6? Well, some of us in this room are probably, if not now, For many of you college guys starting class in a couple weeks, you'll feel like you're in the storm, right? What is the hope in the midst of that? Well, it's that Christ will not only save us, only sustain us, keep us, but that he will grow us, right? That that he will grow us. This week, last week, we see the disciples shaking in the boat, literally, literally, because they're, like, exhausted. They've got that weird muscle thing where you, like, start shaking like crazy, I would imagine. This week, they're seeing Jesus heal broken people from all over the region of the center. And so, yes, God indeed works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his... To his purpose, we keep going back to this this woman with the issue of blood. But similarly to what we see in her, we see an understanding of one's desperate condition, along with the seed of faith that leads to a response, even if there are initial theological issues. Right? We see the faith and the grace. Of the Lord. And so, how do we respond to this passage this morning? What would Mark desire for his original audience, these Christians, man, who are experiencing difficulty in light of their submission to the Lordship of King Jesus? What does he desire that we might learn here and see now, responding to what we see in Mark chapter 6? Here's a few. Number one, see God's sovereign pursuit. Of you, See God's sovereign pursuit of you. See God's kind, loving, committed, faithful pursuit of you. That leads us into a posture of worship as we close our time together. Right as we as we go to the table and we consider again as a body of believers what Christ has done for us upon the cross, right that that He has has poured Himself out completely, having entered into the the, the human condition and all of the brokenness that we see displayed in this passage this morning, that He enters into it and He, he lives in perfect obedience to God's law, with all the stain and all the brokenness and all the rebellion that we see in ourselves, we understand that Christ does not succumb, right? But he willingly and willfully submits himself to the will, to the plan, to the purpose of the Father, going to the cross to die a perfect death and in doing so, putting death to death that we might know, that we might know life, that we might know the resurrection benefits, that we might experience the resurrection benefits now and on into eternity future, right? And so let's consider what Christ has done for us as we go to the table this morning. Consider his pursuit of you. Consider his salvation of you. And the fact that we have been invited to dine around the table of the king, clothed in the righteousness that he alone is capable of providing to us. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. We sang that already this morning. And so consider the Lord's kindness in this work. Consider the direction of The Lord is is calling you, you, where you are, and embrace it, even if it is different than what you expected, or even if it's different than what you would desire for yourself. If you're sailing towards Bethsaida right now, man, consider that perhaps it's Gesinnerat. Perhaps that's the place. That's perhaps the place to go. See the arms of the Father opened wide to welcome his children, atoned for and adopted through the work of Christ upon the cross. Christ is the altogether different kind of king. One commentator said it like this. And this goes back to, we're connecting a lot of things here in Mark chapter 6 as we close our time. Or even going back to, uh, man, where are, yeah, Mark chapter 6. Okay, we, we've had this constant compare and contrast between Herod, who we see put to death, John the Baptist, and Jesus, right? This earthly king and this, this heavenly king. We've seen this compare and contrast going on through, through Mark. Listen to, what, listen to what this commentator has to say about Christ being the altogether different kind of king, even in light of what we know about King Herod, who is a wicked earthly ruler. Who, in contrast to Herod and the rulers of this world, took on the very plight of his subjects to provide a way out of the mess that they had made for themselves. That's you and I too, right? He is far from aloof, uncaring, or inaccessible. Someone... does not meddle in the affairs of his people. Jesus is a king who goes down, who got down into the mess of humanity, who went to the ultimate lengths to seek and save the lost and restore people back into his kingdom. Jesus, who, as it has been said, walked across the stormy waters of God's judgment in our place taking our sickness in his own body so that we could be forever made well and alive. He closes with this idea. The best king imaginable, that's Jesus. All the things that you would desire in your life to rule over you and provide you with happiness and contentment and joy, be that people, positions of authority, things, they are insuitable to be king of your life. The best king imaginable, Jesus, because he is that perfectly wise and good king who always works everything for the best for those who love him, Romans 8.28, and are called according to his purpose. Since Jesus is a different kind of king, we serve in a different kind of kingdom, and that's really important. The kingdom of God takes what culture tells us and turns it upside down. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, man, the kingdom of God doesn't seem to make much sense in light of what I see around me in the kingdom of this world, we would say, yeah, now you're getting it. Right? it doesn't. The kingdom of God is altogether different from the kingdom that we see currently in place, right, in this world. We see Christ, good king, true king, pursuing and welcoming dead and broken and hurting people and blessing them with life. These truths transform us. Okay, these truths transform us as a church, corporately and individually. As we seek to glorify God by pursuing and welcoming people as Christ has pursued and welcomed us. And so maybe the last thing that we ask is this. How does the gospel, how does this passage inform the way that we understand what Christ has done for us to bring us into into the family of God and how does that affect the way that we pursue and welcome other people, right? Right? Consider the way that Christ has pursued and welcomed you, and let us allow that to transform the way that we live mission here in Carrollton. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the hope of the gospel, the good news of Christ crucified and resurrected, the death of death, life for your people. We are incapable of making ourselves well. We, we lack all desire to do so, and yet you have sought us like the hound of heaven to reconcile us, to, to save us, to bring us into your family, to glorify yourself. And so we ask that as we, as we approach the table in these final few minutes together, Father, that you would encourage our hearts in light of the truth, of the gospel, that it might even now begin transforming the way that we perceive the community that we live in, the families that we are a part of, the friends that we love and care for, those whom you've given us some degree of influence, that the gospel might transform the way that we understand our lives being lived here and now. Glorify yourself in these last few minutes uh, that we are together, encourage our hearts, convict us, uh, and stir us, stir us to begin living in light of the truth that we've heard this morning and we can see through your word, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.